Hey, Kate. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, let's dive right in and start with, I thought it might be helpful um, and maybe uh, clarifying to start with what what mental toughness is to begin with. You know, that term, as I'm sure you know, um, and experience gets tossed around a lot and we talk about it in lots of different circles. Um, but yeah, run, run me through or maybe just define that from your perspective uh, to set the stage for our conversation today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like what you said, that term gets thrown around a lot, especially in the world of sports. And I think um, it's not helpful when it's just kind of thrown out there as you need to be more mentally tough or, you know, you need to build some mental toughness because what does that really mean? Like what you just said, what is mental toughness? And the way that I look at mental toughness, it's a, it's a combination of so many things. It's a combination of, um, attitudes, behaviors, actions, mindset, perspective. It really is in one sense probably pulling together all facets of mental performance to help you to become mentally tough. And I think, you know, when we're trying to maybe develop that, we have to get more specific and clear on what exactly it is that we need to develop. Is it, you know, behaviors we need to develop? Is it an attitude or a mindset that we need to develop and to look at it from a broader perspective so that it's not just about um, maybe going through something physically difficult. Cause I think a lot of time that's what people think of with mental toughness is I did this really physically challenging endeavor and that's going to build my mental toughness, which I think it, it, it can. But I think at the same time, when I look at my clients and my approach, there's other ways you can build mental toughness, like through meditation you, to sit there for 30 minutes and be quiet and still is very, very difficult. And and in one sense, that would be, you know, helping you be mentally tough because you're having to learn to be still, which for most athletes is very hard because they're always in that doing mode. So I think it just, it's it's, it's such a broad term and you got to really narrow it down. It really is just a combination of so many different things. If we maybe back up to your uh, experience with with mental toughness, uh, I'm curious to learn more about what brought you to this field in general and this topic? I know you you have a, a history as a, a hockey player and 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 went through your own um, you know journey with mental toughness and like you said the combination of all of those different facets of what that is. But um, yeah, maybe just walk us through kind of that early experience for you because I I think that's such a fundamental part of for for so many of us. Um, you know, it's just those kind of those early stage experiences and those things that led us to where we're at now. So yeah, what was, what was your, you know, what was that like for you early on as a, as an athlete and, and, you know, ultimately what, how did that inform your journey to, to where you're at now? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, it's interesting because as I mentioned, there's so many different facets and I think in one sense I had what a lot of people would consider mental toughness, especially early on in my athletic journey. Um, I was very hardworking. You know, I got cut from my first team when I was probably eight and and my focus was then great. Let's just work harder and, and dig in. And, and so my ability to be resilient when I was pretty young, cause it was not a, um, the most smooth path, uh, path I should say. Um, cause when I started playing hockey as a female in their late eighties, um, there really wasn't much female hockey. So I had to play with the guys. And so that itself, um, 
is not as easy. I was very fortunate that I had some teams and parents and guys on my team that really welcomed me. But it, when you're uh, the only female playing on a, on a male team, right, I think that itself kind of forges a little bit of that mental toughness because you kind of have to just um, focus on yourself and, and not listen to what people might be saying as being the, the only girl. Um, and so there was a lot of different obstacles getting cut, um, figuring out how to transition to playing female hockey, um, you know, not maybe getting scouted at times the way that I wanted to for, you know, whether provincial or national programs. But I think at the same time, while I had that one component of ability to really bounce back every time I got knocked down, I, I came back and just focused on working harder. Um, I think at the same time, part of that other facet of mental toughness, which is, I guess, more of a holistic approach to it, which was to not just go, 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 but there is a requirement to, you know, take care of your mental, physical health. You know, I didn't really have when I was younger, and I think that's something I learned and and became much more um, understanding around the importance of it as I got closer to the end of my career. Um, And I think then that eventually started to maybe round out some of those other areas of mental toughness. Um, And then I think, obviously, when I transitioned away from being the athlete, I kind of started to navigate what did I want to do afterwards. And, and eventually I found myself into the the mental performance component of the equation because I think that was just more resonated with me and I have more passion for it than working with athletes on the physical side, which I actually did initially do um, when I first graduated and, and stopped my, uh, my athletic career. Hmm. <clears throat> what I want to talk a little bit about nuance because you, you mentioned, you know, there's, there's so much more to mental toughness than what we are um, maybe told or even sold um, because it has become popularized in this, this, you know, a lot of it is just kind of put your head down and you mentioned like, you know, your, maybe your first reaction is to, I'm just going to work harder. I'm, you know, the, my, my answer to being tough is just to outwork everyone else, but you've gotten, you know, in your own journey. And then obviously in your, in your work, there's so much that goes into it. And so for those that maybe are thinking about mental toughness through that lens still of, it just means I need to do something physically hard to be tough, or I need to just put my head down and do more. Um, what, what role does, does nuance play in that conversation to get us to a place where we have that holistic, um, perspective like you just mentioned? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's a, it's a conversation I have with a lot of my clients and helping them to try and make that shift. And it's not not always easy, especially if they're pretty young, because as you said, there's that we've been sold and, and told and a, a big part of the mindset around athletics is, you know, just put your head down, grind it out. You know, I remember having a t-shirt no pain, no gain, right? That kind of mentality, right? That's that's being tough. And I think you have to just slowly start to create that conversation and 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 connect the benefit of doing things like meditation or sleep. Um, that that recovery component is really, really important. And there are more subtle ways to build not only that toughness, but your overall performance and and that those other areas ultimately help you when you are now going to go do and grind it out, which has to happen sometimes, it's going to make that even better. And I think that's really what I try to emphasize with, you know, people I talk to and my clients is that one, this one side of kind of being a little kinder to yourself, a little more holistic will help you now 
really, you know, get that, uh, I guess a little bit more, I don't want to say toughness, but really help you when you get into having to, to really grind it out or, um, perform at a really high level in difficult situations. How do we know when to deploy these different skills, you know, and what I mean by that is how do we know when it's time or the right time to put our head down and, and lean in and do the hard work? Cause that's absolutely a part of it, you know, to, to excel at anything. There is a point at which you have to push through where you're currently at. You know, you have to get to a new place and that requires effort. But then there's some of these other skills you've talked about where, you know, whether it's meditation or recovery or, you know, any of the other facets of, of the kind of athletic toolbox that we might deploy or, or, you know, even outside of athletics, just people in general. So how do you, how do you help people or what's the guidance for, for finding that balance of now's the time to just lean in and work hard or just on the other side of that is things like burnout and overtraining and, you know, and, and there's mental and emotional health that's, that's factored into that. So yeah, what's, what's that like for you? And maybe what's been your experience, if any, like on the client or personal side with that, trying to find that balance? I think that's a, that's a continuous journey. I know like, I'll talk about myself personally and I think, and then I'll extend it to my clients. I think personally, it's like, it's a constant journey to try and find that, that balance of, you know, push hard. And I think part of it, and it's the same with my, with my clients is that's really, really important is your self-awareness, right. And to be super self-aware and and to build that because I know for myself, you know, finding that balance or knowing when to push or when to, you know, recover, step back or, or, you know, do other things that, you know, are part of the equation. It really does stem from my self-awareness. Like I know my tendency is to go hard and to dig in and to just throw myself in doing more. So I know that that usually is going to probably not be an issue in one sense, right? Like the, the doing part, um, it's more of maybe sometimes taking that step back and, and, you know, being more mindful or doing more self-reflection or whatever that looks like. And I think then for me, I know that's something I have to focus a little bit more on and, and find that, I guess, balance. But I think, as I said, like the ability to know time and place and when is like, it's a, you're just constantly learning that I think as you go through your own journey and and figure yourself out. And so that's something I do with my clients as well, right? I have to help them develop that self-awareness and help them to know themselves and what are their tendencies, maybe when they're up against the wall, when there's pressure, when they're stressed, like what, what are they going to tend to do and then help them to fill in those gaps of other things they need to throw into that equation, um, to make sure that they are having a nice, well-rounded approach for themselves and, and, um, finding as much balance as possible. I feel like confidence has to play a role in this in <laughs> some way, you know, and like, and, and maybe it's confidence through the lens of self-awareness be, being confident enough in your or our ability to navigate these different things. But I know that's one of the things that you've <clears throat> talked about in your books is, is confidence and, and tools for building it. So what, yeah, I mean, what role does it play? Cause I know that you, you can be overconfident and that can lead to injury and burnout, like, you know, all these things that I mentioned before, 
but it has to play a role somehow. Um, I would imagine. So what's, what's, what's that equation look like for confidence in the right doses and, you know, and ultimately leading us to where we want to be in the end. Yeah. Confidence, super, super important at the, I think at the core of most things, the same with self-awareness. I kind of, in one sense, couple those together because you need self-awareness to really build, build that confidence and that confidence then does influence so many other things. Right. Um, and what's that balance? I think for most people I've worked with and I've seen whether they're professional athletes, um, Olympic athletes or high school athletes is most people need more confidence and not even need more confidence. They need to shift how they're getting their confidence. So most athletes get confidence from outside of themselves, from, you know, winning or succeeding, getting points, getting accolades, um, external validation in some way, shape or form. Right. And that's going to be fleeting because that's going to come and go and that's not going to really create steady, long lasting confidence. And so how do we now shift it to, yeah, those things are nice and they should, you know, definitely make you feel good, but they should be more of that icing on the cake versus the main ingredient of what you're looking to, to have for your confidence. And so we have to shift it to focusing on the things that they need to develop within them to help them consistently have confidence and have that steady, long lasting confidence when their external environment and things are going to be fluctuating. It's going to go up and down. You're, you're in a sport, you're going to have good moments, good seasons, bad seasons, bad moments. Like how do you can maintain that confidence? And so things like uh, preparation is a big part of that internal confidence um, as well as, you know, certain mental skills such as uh, self-talk. Self-talk is definitely one of the, the most important mental skills when it comes to internal self-confidence. So that relationship with yourself and how are you talking to yourself um, and then really focusing on small successes. I think that's a big thing. Most people are looking for the big wins, the big successes to make themselves feel good, but really to have continuous steady confidence. You have to be looking daily at those small things, those small victories, um, that you accomplished. And then finally really, you know, training in adversity, right? Because that's a big part of, of confidence is to know that you can head into an unknown and you can deal with whatever obstacle or challenges are going to get presented to you. And you learn to know that you can, and to trust yourself that you can by doing it in other environments. Right. And that's why I think, you know, throwing in that training in the, in adversity, when it comes to the, the people I know who go a little bit, maybe on that edge, they're getting to, you know, and I've had that question from clients too, like, how do I know if I'm just really confident or if I'm getting into that overconfidence? And I think the, the main ingredient that helps you to stay on the side of just being very confident versus overconfident is being humble. Right. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing is just, um, you know, kind of staying grounded, staying tied to the ground, um, and understanding that things may be going well, but you, you don't stop the process. You don't stop focusing on those, um, small things that helped you get to be successful. Um, you look at some of the best athletes in the world, right? They're big proponents of the fundamentals of, of continually doing the, the small things that they did when they were 14 years old all the way through until they retire. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is not losing sight of those, um, those small things and, and not getting, you know, to, I guess, in your, your own head and, and getting ahead of yourself. I want to maybe dive a little deeper there because this is something that I talk a lot about on this podcast and it's a personal passion of mine. <clears throat> and it really is tied to this, you know, process oriented approach that the, the real fact that, like you said, these 
these other things are, are fleeting, you know, the, it's the game, it's the win, it's the, these moments in time, these outcome based scenarios, um, they're, they're, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And then ultimately it's a connection to the process that, you know, keeps us sustainable. But I, I find, and, and I'm curious if you have the same experience on, on your side of working with athletes, but certainly one of the the challenges of my career as a coach has been to highlight the importance of finding real excitement and a real connection to the process that, you know, that thing down the road is great, but, but it, but it's not going to be as satisfying as you think it's going to be. And it can also go any number of different ways and, and Mm -hmm. it's largely out of our control. Um, so I'd love to just get, yeah, I mean, just to maybe dig a little deeper into some of the tactical pieces that you found to create that connection to the process or how do we help people understand what those small wins are? How do we identify them? Cause I just think a lot of people, again, in my experience, they, they're almost kind of, you know, they get a little stuck in purgatory. They can't quite see the forest for the trees and what it might look like on a daily basis to truly connect with that process in some meaningful way. So yeah, walk us through just some more detail on that and, and um, how folks can connect to it. Yeah. I think what you said, that's, that is always a, the difficult part is how do you make someone excited about the process or that, that small um when I think like anything, it is a practice. And, and part of that is when you start to, as you said, be able to identify it more and more, I think you do get excited because really when you look at things like the flow, um, you know, when they've done research on the happiest people, it's all about being truly connected to that, to that moment. And that moment itself is, is fulfilling enough, right? People who are happy or in the flow, they're not looking for something outside of that moment. Right. And so that, I think that's the biggest thing, you know, to, to understand and to illustrate that being primarily focused and putting all your energy and focus into that step you're taking in that moment is going to give you everything you actually want is so important, but as you said, very hard to do. And so I do, I actually have all my clients write out three wins every day, three small wins or small victories every day. Um, they have these journals that I give them and, it's, it's a practice because I know for a lot of them that's, it's very difficult. It's, they're like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I'm going to find three wins in a day. And slowly they, they start to, because I start to, you know, you ask questions of, it can be anything. It could be, did you not lose your, your, I guess, temper in a situation where usually in the past, maybe you would have, um, it could be the fact that, for these people when I'm, I'm having them write in the journals that they, they wrote in the journals that they completed the journal that day, right? That could be a small win because maybe that's something if they meditated for five minutes, that could be the small win because maybe that's not something they're um, usually going to be doing or they're just at the beginning of doing it. So I think it's, it is hard because we, when we're looking at the small wins, we don't think of them as wins. We just think of them as, well, of course I should have done that. And I think that's maybe a, a place to kind of look at if there's something in your daily life where you're like, well, yeah, I should have, of course I should have done that. Um, that might be an area to start to explore of a, a small win because in one sense you didn't need to do that at the same time. Every decision you make is going to send you in one direction or the other. So either going to, you know, be a vote for the athlete or person who you want to become or a vote for the athlete and person that's gravitating away from that 
vision you have for yourself. And I think that's important to notice that, that each, each moment is a moment to make a decision. And that itself is a, is a small win. If you make the decision, that's going to help align you with what you ultimately want to do. That's so good. I, I I'd certainly, I resonate with that on a personal level. I've always, it's been a real practice of mine to, um, to, to stay present and focus on small wins. You know, I'm someone who is always striving and, you know, I could do better. And, and that you, you capture it really well, that sentiment of like, well, of course, like I should have done that anyway. Right. Like that's not that big a deal because it's low hanging fruit or it's, it's, I was going to do it anyway or, or whatever. And, um, I, I, yeah, that, that resonates. And it's something that, yeah, you have to work at, you know, and it's the days that I don't do it, um, or don't make that a practice. Um, it's really evident, you know, in terms of just how I feel about progress or my connection to the things I'm doing. And so, um, that's, that's, that's great. Again, that just, that really, I can, I can really like feel that on a personal level because it's been like a journey for me to, to just be excited about what's going on right now versus like always pushing ahead and be like, Oh, okay. You know, I just got to do, do better tomorrow. Um, but you, you talked about, you you just touched on this kind of like, you make a decision, right? There's like divergent paths you can take. You can make a decision to support that person, or you can make a decision to, to not, you know, support that person you want to be or, and, um, it leads me to, uh, a quote that I, I really like. Um, and I know you've publicized or is out there on, um, in your book, get into the zone. And it's, I just want to read it. It says every day, that you wait to start training your mind is a day that your competition is leaving you further and further behind. And one day they will, they will have moved so far ahead that you'll simply be unable to keep up. And I think that that, that quote feels like, like kind of what you're describing is like, you can, you can go this one direction and you can decide to support this person that's fully engaged and, and, you know, is connected to this process or not. But the people that do are going to move ahead. They're going, mm-hmm. you know, there's sustain. Um, so, but I'd love for you to expand on m- m- what that what that quote means, um, or like the sentiment around that as it relates to uh, the importance of 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 this in general, and 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 how it does ultimately like create a sustainable approach or one that's wholly unsustainable oftentimes when we're not working on these, these mental performance skills. So what's, what's your connection to that, to that quote and and what does that mean for, for you? It's a good question. I wrote it. So quite a few years ago now, but um, I think it, for me, it really is, it's just trying to emphasize the importance of the, of the mental side. And I think, there was a part of me when I was young that kind of intuitively did a lot of things that helped me and, and uh, a lot of the stuff we've talked about and, and contributed to my overall performance through, you know, the mental side. But I don't think I really connected it until I got older and it was towards the end of my career and I started to really realize how how much it influenced my performance. And I think the more and more I've worked with athletes over the years now, you every athlete, so many athletes now have the same strength conditioning, you know, coaching ability or, or access or nutrition. I like everything has on the physical side is so 
it's available and, and, and eventually all athletes get pretty equal. If you're at the top of your sport, there's not much that's going to differentiate the athletes from a physical perspective or even the, the athletes that maybe were just below it, like just didn't make it right. It, it usually is not going to come down to a physical skill set if you're really that good or in that kind of top part of the, that, the sport that you're in. And what's really going to be the difference is, is what's going on between your two ears. And I think that's really, you know, what I've, I've noticed, and that was the whole quote is just to say, like, you have to pay attention to this. You have to put in the same time and effort into your mental game and into your mental performance that you do your physical side. Cause if you don't, your physical skills aren't going to be able to give you what you want by themselves. They just, they won't. And those that are working on both their physical and mental game are going to get way too far ahead of you that eventually just said like, it's just, there will be no way to, to catch up because at some point you come to the, I guess the point where you just, you're not going to be able to make that next level if you're not focusing on it. And so I think that was the big thing is to help people just to, to understand that, that you have to, you have to build this out to really truly get the most out of all that physical training that you have done. And if you don't, then you're not going to get the most out of it. What's the takeaway or, or is there an opportunity to apply that same lesson to folks that aren't at an elite level? Um, because I, I work with a lot of and I'm sure you've encountered this as well. And I know you work with people in kind of the professional space. I spent a lot of time in the entrepreneurial space <clears throat> and, and folks trying to balance all these different things and figure out, you know, which direction to go with their business and this, that, and the other. And I, I think, I feel like that resonates. Um, but I'm curious to get your take on like, how does that distill down or, or how does, what's the takeaway there for folks that are just trying to balance a million different things, right? Physical health, they have families, job, the, right? Whatever the things are that, that people wake up and, and are managing. Um, what's the importance of the mental performance piece for, for those folks? If, if performance isn't uh, athletic performance at a very top level, isn't their end goal? Um, how, do, how do they still, um, what's the role of that for them? How do they still apply these tools? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, it applies in the same manner in terms of to get the most out of yourself, whatever that is, your, whatever that context is for you. If it is balancing life, it is your work. If it's um, playing athletics at a, you know, maybe a lower level and you're not looking to go pro or college or whatever that, that might be, it, it's really always saying like, are you wanting to get the most out of what you are attempting to, to do? Um, to put your best foot forward in, in every situation. And, you know, you said even the people who are trying to balance all these things, do you want to be able to do so from a perspective of being able to stay calm and uh, resilient and, and mindful and, and present with whatever it is that you're, you're doing, whether it's work or with your children or whatever that might be? Um, I think that ultimately is, is it is do you want to see what capacity you have and you have to kind of train your mind um, to be able to do that because it, it impacts your confidence, your attention, all of these things that are going to ultimately impact how you end up doing whatever that, you know, endeavor is for you. It, it makes me think about these folks. I know it's, I know it's important um, at kind of the top, the high level too, but um talking about people with lots going on gets me thinking about this kind of varied 
athletic identity. Um, and I know that's something that you've talked about specifically, um, your book, the athlete within, um, just the, the importance of diversifying outside of athletics, you know, and not hanging your hat solely on performance or your preparedness or athletic abilities or what have you. Um, can you expand a little bit on that and and the importance of having some diversification there as it relates to how we think about ourselves? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, it's greatly important from two different perspectives. One perspective of actually being able to be a high level performer, again, whatever that might be for you. Um, and then number two, help you, you know, obviously a lot for athletes transition, whether that's after high school, college, professionally, right? That transition is going to have it happen at some point, regardless of how high a level you, you ended up playing. And I think from going back to the perspective of getting the most out of yourself, I think it's important to have things that help you to understand that this thing that you are putting maybe a lot of time, energy, and effort into is just something that you are doing. And yes, you are putting a lot of time, energy, and effort into it but it's not who you are. And I think when you look at diversifying and, and whether it's hobbies or interests or, you know, exploring maybe what you want to do after your role as an athlete, it just helps you to understand and, and remind you that there's more to life than this thing you're putting so many hours and, and time behind. And, and you can do that, but don't let it become your identity and understand that there's more to you. And when that thing is done, whenever it is done, you are still going to exist and, and everything that you gain from that time will come with you. And I think that's really important. And then that's going to help also with that transition period. Cause I think for a lot of athletes that is extremely difficult, that transition, whenever it does end up happening, if their whole identity was that sport, I think there's still going to be a transition because it still is something you put a lot of time, energy and effort into. But I think those athletes who understand that this is something they're doing, not who they are, can then see what they've gained from it and can, you know, at some point they've started to f- think about and focus on what, what is life going to be like afterwards and how is this a stepping stone to what I'm going to do next. Um, and that obviously then helps with that transition because now you're finding purpose and value in something else that you're you're doing and, and now you can kind of close the book on that chapter and, and take from it what you wanted to and, and helped you and now move on to something else. Would you be uh, willing to share a bit of your personal experience with that? Because I I can't help but think, I mean, you've gone through that and, I you know, we learn the best when we maybe use ourselves as as our own, um, you know, experiment. But how was that something that you arrived at fairly naturally or did you struggle with that diversified identity or, or what was that like for you as you moved even through different stages of your hockey career, but then ultimately parlayed that into, you know, ultimately what you're, what you're doing now. What was that like for you? Yeah, I think it, it was difficult, um, but I had some advantages that I think did help me tra- transition at the same time. And, and so I'll kind of go over all the different, I guess, things, the, the aspects that were a little more difficult and, and that was beneficial. I think for me, my identity was being an athlete a large part of it was hockey, but just sports in general was a big part of my my identity. And so, you know, for me, when I was transitioning, when you're in your, I was in my 20s, when I was in my 20s, and I, I become very, very good at this thing. 
when I started to now figure out, you know, what I was going to do next, it's very hard to go back to the beginner stage, right? To be not good at something. Um, and I know for me, when I retired, it, it was at a time where technically I, could, I still could have kept going and I, I could have, you know, continued with hockey. And so there were definitely moments in the first, I think, two or three years where I was like, I don't know, it'd be kind of nice to go back and do the thing I'm really, really good at right now. Cause you know, when you hit those low points, you know, for me, especially I was starting a business and, and doing some things that were very difficult. It was, you know, that idea of like, oh, let's just go back to the thing. I'm like really, really good at that sounds enticing. That would be nice. Right. That was definitely hard at times that, you know, thinking of like, will I ever be as good as I was at this, you know, thing that I stopped in my twenties, will I ever get that good at something else? And I think that can be hard for, for a lot of athletes. Now for me being a female athlete um, and a hockey player um, at the time that I was in, in this, in the, I guess, era of women's hockey where, you know, getting paid to play was not really a reality. And yes, going to the Olympics was a reality, but again, you're not going to get paid to go to the Olympics. Um, I always had to have in the back of my mind, what was after hockey. Um, and so I remember starting at about 17, you know, starting to think about what, what was I going to do for, my, my living, you know, like I thought about being a a sports agent. I thought about being a gym teacher and I explored those different options. Um, I thought about doing sports management. That was actually my first major in undergrad before I, you know, changed to psychology in my second year. And then even when I graduated from undergrad, right, I, I did physical training. I did something called muscle activation techniques for a little bit. So there was a lot of exploration of like, what what am I going to do? Because I I knew that I still had to figure out a way to make money, um, even if I was going to continue to to play hockey and and maybe go to the Olympics. And so I think that in one sense helped me, right? That was valuable. Um, and obviously, female athletes generally have that a little bit maybe more, just because there's not as many opportunities to get paid for for the sports. And so I think that was helpful. So I already kind of knew when I was graduating and finishing hockey, you know, some ideas and and started to throw myself into things that I might want to do next and, and have purpose and value and and be passionate about something else. Um, And I think that was really, really important and really helped with that, um, that transition. Um, But yeah, like definitely my identity was very wrapped around being an athlete and I experienced burnout and all these things. So I think there was a mixed bag there where there were some difficult components, but some things that that did help me and and made my transition maybe a little bit easier than for some. What are ways that you help or, you know, maybe what's your advice or guidance for folks that, um, that are struggling with that? And again, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back or my mind goes to what I'll kind of maybe call like age group athletes. You know, a lot of folks that we work with, like in my coaching company, um, again, are there, you know, they're, they're doing some sport at the best of their ability. Um, but it almost seems like diversification of identity, um, might be worse at that level than like than than at elite levels because there seems maybe it's I don't and you you could speak to that more than I can but you know we work with there's a lot of folks that I talk to on a daily basis that are super passionate and and but you know they they're weekend warriors you know they have kids and work and this that and the other and um but they really struggle to figure out a zone to place their energy outside of athletics. And and that becomes very destructive when, um, you know, they get injured or they have something else come up in their life or they have to redivert or, 
um, whatever the scenario is, you know, pick a thing that happens in life that, you know, that throws a curveball our way. So, you know, not necessarily for those people, but what's your, what's your advice or, or tactical guidance to help people figure out how to get somewhere else or how to, to connect with some other version of themselves outside of that athletic, um, outside of their athletic identity. Yeah. I guess the thing that comes to mind is exploration. I think that's the thing people don't do. Um, and I I mentioned it when I said like, that's what I kind of did. And that was, I don't know why, why I did it. It was, I guess, an intuitive thing, but I think you have to explore. I think people are afraid to find out what they don't like, but they don't understand that finding out what you don't like or doesn't fit with you or doesn't align with you is information to help you eventually find what you actually do like or, or is in alignment with you. And I think that's really, really important. And it may be, you know, I think that was maybe something my dad might've taught me because I remember my brother when he was an undergrad was doing all these different internships and not liking them. And he's like, that's fine. Cause now you just, you, you know, you knock it off and you, you're figuring out what you do like through what you don't like at the same time. So I think that's really, really important. It's the same with, you know, young kids. And I tell that to parents with young athletes, like, even just exploring different sports. I think sports specialization is, is huge now. And I think just the whole exploration, whether it's a sport or different hobbies or interests, you know, outside of if you're a weekend warrior, I think that's just really important is just start to open yourself, be curious and be open-minded and just start to explore different, different things that maybe at some point in your life, what you were interested in, you know, whether it was maybe guitar when you were a teenager or piano, maybe you took piano lessons and maybe you liked it, but you just didn't have time or you did something else, whatever it might be, right. Just start with something and just kind of explore it, be open-minded. And it's okay if you don't like the first few things that you are, you're exploring, because now you're getting information, starting to maybe filter through and narrow down eventually what's going to fit for you outside of athletics. You, you touched on when you're talking about your own experience with kind of out transitioning outside of, uh, or on the other side of, of playing hockey, that it, it's hard to be bad at things. Um, and that totally resonates with me. I, I've said openly that I don't like to do things I'm bad at. Um, as, as I don't think many people do certainly, you know, people that are competitive or, or fall into this kind of general camp of, you know, athletes, we're high drivers tend to like to do, you know, be good at things. I think that's a, you know, a fair assumption, but I have found as I, as I have developed, and I'll speak to my personal experience with this to, to kind of highlight my broader question I've found that as I've diversified and kind of matured as an athlete and my athletic journey has, you know, transitioned and ebbed and flowed and the role that, that, you know, athleticism plays in my life changes. I've found that it's really important to make things that I'm not good at part of my process. Um, and I'll use an example, um, something as maybe seemingly simple as like mobility work. Right. I come from a cycling background where I have lots of wrecks and broken bones and crashes and things that I have to maintain as I get older to continue to move well. So what that means is that my body doesn't necessarily like those things. I'm not good at them. Right. I'm not, you know, at any given day, I don't look particularly flexible or I don't, you know, feel like I'm super capable of doing some of these things. And that's just one example, but, but it, it, it's, it's critical and imperative to my process. And I have found 
that when I think about something like that, that I'm not good at, but I think about connecting to the act of trying to get better at that thing as something that is part of my process, right? So it's not like my inherent ability to do the thing, but it's the engagement in the thing itself that keeps me excited about it or keeps me coming back to it. Um, so, so I, I use myself as an example again to highlight, like, what is, what, how do we lean into stuff that we don't like? Or what is your advice or guidance for people that, you know, when we need to diversify or there's parts of our process that maybe need to be in place, but we shy away from them because they're not a strength or we don't feel confident to come back to the confidence piece there. How, how do you, um, what's your process or your guidance for, for getting people engaged in those things and not continuing to kind of redivert and shy away from them to only choose things that there are their kind of strengths? It's a good question. It's yeah, it's, it's that whole conversation around the importance of putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, right. And getting comfortable with the discomfort. Um, and I think, is a conversation I have with, with all of my clients from, from different perspectives. Obviously one of the perspectives I give it is to actually inevitably find flow. You have to actually have struggle. You have to have discomfort. And so again, it's trying to connect why is this important to your overall performance. That's usually the angle I have to, and and I like to take, right? Because I think they have to understand what's, how's this going to aid me? Um, it's same with what I said about the the confidence earlier training and adversity, same thing that's going to put you in an uncomfortable situation. Um, and through being put into that uncomfortable situation, like what you're saying with your mobility, you learn how to deal with discomfort, which ultimately down the road when you're placed in a situation in maybe a competition or a game or something that you're really wanting to do well in, there's going to be a, a moment of discomfort somewhere there. And if you've, purposely done it earlier and learn how to just navigate through that discomfort and to not get caught up or hooked by the discomfort or the thoughts that come with that, that's going to help create the skill set to now do it in that, you know, bigger moment or that moment when you, you need to, or, or want to. Um, and so I think that's kind of how I do that. It's, it's trying to say, maybe start small, and and then build like start with something small that's uncomfortable and then maybe build it to something bigger and and learn how to be okay with that that feeling that is being created and use it as a a moment to practice a lot of the things that for me I'm trying to teach them so that they can now perform it at a high level when they need to yeah I love that question like why is this important to your performance um I think that that's that's probably a missing piece or a question we don't ask enough. And if, cause it feels like it's, it's worthless, right? Like I, if specifically my mind goes to these things that are kind of secondary or tangential to like our primary modality or primary training discipline is like all the other things they are, they're, they're not helping me. Right. Is, is what often is in the athlete's mind. We don't get that as much anymore, but you know, we used to have that big, fight with like strength training, right? It's like, if you're a, you know, whatever athlete, you're like, well, I'm not going to spend time in the gym. I'm just going to go do more of my thing. Right. And coming from the endurance space, it was an uphill battle. And luckily we have science to support, you know, that it's actually not, you know, something we should shy away from now, but it's like, I'm just going to go run more. I'm just going to go ride my bike more or whatever. Um, 
And I think, yeah, it's just a great way to frame it. It's like, oh, it's actually like this thing's going to help my performance. It's actually going to support um, these areas that I do want to spend most of my time and energy, but but maybe I shouldn't spend all of them there. I should work on bolstering some some strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to take um, a, a bit of a divergent path, but in my mind, it's all related. One of the things that I'm always fascinated by is this kind of common thread between um, mental toughness and sport and, and business or sport and like our career paths. And it's something that I've talked a lot about in the sense that the, the skills that we gain in the athletic world are directly applicable to how we show up in the professional space. You can be a business owner or not. Um, but if you're someone who's trying to you know, move the needle in, in the professional way. Those things I believe are, are inexorably linked. Um, but I'd love to get your thoughts on what that common thread is between those two worlds and how mental toughness is woven um, or part of that common thread or, or woven in, into that narrative um, or that intersection between those two, two spaces. Yeah, no, I think there's a, a huge, huge thread from, both former athletes going into the business world, right. And, and transferring those things. And then I also know that, you know, people in the business world who maybe weren't athletes love to learn about the secrets the athletes use to, to be mentally tough or to be able to, you know, focus better or whatever that might be. I think for me, it's always about just because of my profession of performance, right? If you're in the business world, you are still trying to perform in some way, shape or form. And I think if you were an athlete, you're going to pull a lot of those things that you need to be able to perform in, in whatever it is you're doing in business, whether it's communication or teamwork, um, self-awareness, knowing that you can do difficult things, knowing that you can overcome obstacles, challenges, uh, figure that out, become better for it, right? Sports is all about failure. You're failing all the time in sports. When you go lift weights, you are technically getting to the point of failure, right? Like, so you are, that's the whole point. So you're, you're just constantly failing. And I think that itself now gets transferred into business to be able to deal with some of those things, especially if you're, let's say an entrepreneur or something like that, or if you had had to deal with coaches and now you have a boss, right? Again, you have all these different transferable skills, um, that are going to help you to excel in the business world, um, just as much as the athletic world. And I think, again, that goes to what I was saying earlier with that transition of, if you can grab it and really see what that journey or that time period of being an athlete really built within you, that now goes with you as you now enter into that, that next stage of your life, if it is business or something else. And now it's just about figuring out how do I, apply these same things and approach this in a, in a similar way. Cause I think that's somewhere sometimes where people don't see it. And I was a little different. I was talking to one of my clients yesterday, who's a student athlete. And so we were talking about her taking a test and, and kind of a similar thing. I, we've gone over these different tools and techniques to help her. She's a softball player, you know, with her batting um, and just kind of keeping her emotions in check and staying calm And I said, you know, you get to use some of those skills for test taking, right? You can, you know, talk to friends, listen to some music, like do something that kind of calms you down, makes you laugh, makes you loose so that when you walk into that test, you're calmer because as soon as you start getting stressed and you let that stress take over, it's going to impact how much information you're going to remember for that test. And so that's kind of similar with the business. You have to really look at and see like, what did I develop? But then how do I now apply it over here into this uh, different context? But you can. 
I, I love that. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I think there's, you know, we, we tend to like think about those things like they're in vacuums, right? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. here's this world and then here's this world and there's no possible bridge. But yeah, I love, yeah, just your kind of explanation of, of that, those real direct crossovers, right? And like in, in so many different spaces, whether it's working with teams, communication, self-awareness, these things that, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you go to work, you have to deploy so, you know, this suite of kind of interpersonal skills and self-awareness and connection and, and, and how you deal with others. And all of that is, is in athletics, you know, all that, you know, whether it's training groups or, you know, what we've done on our own. And, um, yeah, I appreciate you, you making that, that common thread super clear. Um, one yeah, thing this, actually, I'll, I'll just add to that. And it was, I think it was a podcast I listened to a long time ago because the way we view athletics has changed quite a bit over the years, right? The whole point of athletics, I think, you know, long, long ago before it became really like something you can make a lot of money off of, the whole point of it for young people was to build character for whatever they were going to do as adults. That was the whole point of people actually doing athletics. Um, and I think we've, we've lost that along the way where now it's about, oh, I can get a scholarship, I can go pro, I can make millions of dollars. But ultimately, that was the whole reason we were put into athletics in the first place. That, yeah, I honestly had never really thought about, you know, rolling back the clock a little bit and thinking about, yeah, that the, the, the goal was that it originally was that it supported who we were external to that thing. Um, it mm-hmm. wasn't just about sport in general or, or sport as a standalone piece. That's a great, that's a great yeah, thing to recognize is that, um, yeah, it, that the engagement in that thing is really should be what supports like bolsters who we are the other. And I, I describe it, I've talked about it like, like it's the other 23 hours of the day, right? It's like, you know, and however long your training session is or however long you're engaged in that sport, but then you go off and you're, you're a person in the world, you move mm-hmm. through society and you have a family and you're, a brother or a sister or a partner, whatever. Right. And, and, and that you're going to carry that into, um, all those other engagements, all those other places that you, uh, are in, in the world. Um, and that's, yeah, that's a, that's a great reminder. Um, okay. This has been incredible. Um, I can't thank you enough for your, your insight and expertise. And, um, this is, uh, it's been a conversation I've been looking forward to for a long time. So thank, thank you so much. No, thanks so much for having me. It was uh, it was a lot of fun.